Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Episode 48, we're back, another week, <laughs> nothing has changed, nothing has changed, this is Groundhog, have you ever wondered what Groundhog Day was like, um, this is it, we're loving it, you ever watched that film and you thought to yourself, I wonder what it would be like to live the same day over and over again, I wonder what that would be like, would I learn piano? You know, would I pick up new skills, new talents? Is that, if I was forced into a, and obviously it would be a fictional world because there's no way in hell your real life could ever be you living the exact same fucking day over and over again. But if you were in said fictional world, what would you learn? I would probably learn piano. You know? Sit there. It's the same day over and over again, man. Tanko the keys. Learn it. Impress people. You know, like, did, did you get lessons when you were young? Were you, have you been have you been forced by your parents, like some small Asian child, to, to learn the piano? You're like, no, mate. It's fucking Groundhog Day. And what have I done in my Groundhog Day? Fuck all. <laughs> have I learned piano? Have I buggery? All I've done is attack my mental health. Anyway, episode 48, welcome back. Uh, the Scott Gibson Show, I am Scott Gibson. Who else would I be? But thank you for joining us. Um, we we are now find ourselves in, in, a, in a week where uh, pubs are, are shutting at 10 o'clock because we, we know that coronavirus uh, cannot exist past that time. Um, we have a curfew and so does coronavirus i mean let's just get straight in there with the fucking good stuff because when i saw that pubs were closing right like many of you i thought isn't this just a lot of nonsense the fact that we have welcomed people back into you know the high streets pubs cafes restaurants the whole eat out to help out movement you know, we just saw a lot of restaurants double the prices of their food before they knocked 50% off the top of it or whatever the hell it was. And that's another subject for another day. And then we're now being told that, you know, we shouldn't be in groups because the fucking R number, whatever that is, is going up and down. It's, it's the constant, it's the constant... I don't know what the correct term to even use for it is. It is the, the, the constant switching between decisions and ideas, moving from one to the exact opposite, literal opposites of each other, on sometimes a daily basis. Go and mix with people. Do not mix with people. 
go to bars and restaurants, do not go to bars and restaurants. Spend your money in the high street, avoid the high street at all costs. You can't fucking win, man. You can't fucking win. And um, the, the thing that got the most, obviously, and politicians, I covered this a little bit on the, on the last uh, Patreon episode, wasn't it? With the minute Friday. Politicians right now seem to be in a position where they they are deliberately trying to fuck themselves over. Now, I have no sympathy for any politician whatsoever, regardless of if it's a party that I've voted for or if it's a politician that I like. At the end of the day, I couldn't give a flying fuck about you because at your core, you're probably a cunt, the fact that you're a politician in the first place. And let's just be brutally honest, all right? Even the ones that you think you like, at their core, they're probably a cunt. And let's not pretend otherwise. I know that... When we first went into lockdown and all this started, the, the feeling of the world was, you know, we're going to come out of this better people. Maybe the way that we do come out of this better people is we cut all the bullshit and we start calling a spade a spade. A dick's a dick and a cunt's a cunt. End of story. So the whole thing about pubs closing, right, and I found an article that apparently goes into science, even though there's fucking no science for this whatsoever, pubs closing now at 10 o'clock with the curfew. Also, let's discuss the fact that the curfew here is 10 o'clock, okay? So if you're in a pub and you're drinking, 10 o'clock, the pub's shut, your mid-pint, the pint snatched out your hand, it's fucking launched into a bucket, everybody's evacuated for the pub, the shutters come down, and the staff in that pub desperately, like something out a fucking Hollywood blockbuster, run for the back door and dive out as the clock strikes 10 and then COVID fucking ah, emerges in the pub and is, is greeted by an empty pub and it's like, the fucking bastards have done me again. That is obviously the science behind the pubs shutting at 10 o'clock. You know? I mean, I can only assume that's for staff as well. They must evacuate the building. But here's the fucking twist in the story. Pubs in Northern Ireland, 11 o'clock. <laughs> none, of, none of it makes sense. I said this to you before, if, if you're in Glasgow, you're fucking probably closer to Belfast as the crow flies than you are to where I'm in the fucking country. But yet your pub shuts at 10, their pub shuts at 11. It's coronavirus like Santa. Does it need time to travel the world? Is that it? Is that, is that the next step in battling COVID-19? The virus is actually like Santa Claus. It's, it's a physical... We thought this was a virus that that mutates, you know, or, or infects people and then and, and, and actually is passed person to person or through droplets, as we've all been told. And the, rea- the reality of it is, is that COVID-19 is actually a physical thing. It's like a bad guy. You know, it's like the Hulk. A big fucking green bogey. Or whatever it is. And it travels around. Giving people the disease. Sitting outside pubs. Waiting to the fucking clock. As soon as that goes to 10.01. You're fucked. Maybe that's the reality of it. So Covid actually needs an extra hour. To get over to Belfast in Northern Ireland. You know, maybe we just need to figure this out. We need, we need to understand... Where in the world is COVID now? If you can have the app 
on your phone so you can track Santa Claus at Christmas so you can say to your kids, better get yourself into your bed because look, Santa's over the fucking killing fields in Rwanda. He's going to be here soon. Maybe that's why we need a COVID tracking app. You know, not a tracker app in the sense of it tracks people who have been infected and tells you if you've been close proximity of someone who's tested positive. An actual COVID tracker app that tracks COVID as it travels the globe infecting us. So we can say, do you want to go? Do I go for something to eat? Wait till I check in here. Um, he's in Mexico City at the moment. That gives us four and a half hours. I plenty of time. We can go and watch Tenant if you want. Grab a burger, make a night of it. Maybe that's the the COVID app that we need. So, when it was announced that the pubs are shutting at 10 o'clock, it then emerges that Parliament, I never even knew they had fucking pubs in Parliament, Parliament's own bars, um, will be opened past 10 o'clock. <laughs> they, they, they do, it's almost as if politicians have got together in the House of Parliament or in a fucking WhatsApp group or something and went, look, they can't get rid of us. Right? They can't get rid of us. Okay? They already know that the the world will function without government. Everybody fucking knows that. The idea that suddenly if Parliament was to fall or there was no Prime Minister or there was no elected officials that we would all be in the street like the purge fucking killing each other, raping and pillaging, setting fire to buildings, has now been proven that is not the fucking case. Because the reality is, most people are fucking drones. If there's no parliament, there's no prime minister, there's no elected officials, you'll still go up in the fucking morning and you'll still go to work. And do you know why that is? Because you still go to pay your Wi-Fi and you've still got to pay your lecky bill, so cunts will go to their work. So it does feel as if... All the politicians have got to the girl and went, listen, let's have a fucking laugh with COVID. Let's have a laugh. Let's just do stuff to piss people off, man. Fuck it. We know how bad it's going to be in a couple of years' time. Let's go down with the ship. We're not going to be here. This next election is going to be a fucking mass clear out. We'll not be here. Let's have a laugh. Shut the pubs at 10. What time does our bar close? Our bars never close, Finlay. They never close. I never even knew that there was pubs in, in down the street in fucking Parliament. Never knew. Now, in fact, let's just get out of how many there is. I mean, to be fair to them, if you're fucking, you know, molesting and shagging Wayne's for most of the fucking day, as these fuckers seems to be, you probably need a pint after that, you know? If you're going to fuck over a whole country, you may need a pint after it. This this article um, from Sky News, uh, bars inside Parliament can stay open past 10pm curfew. Of course they can. Uh, the bars where MPs drink inside the House of Parliament are exempt from new coronavirus restrictions it has been revealed. It means the Palace of Westminster... Uh, famous drinking holes are among the few places in the country that can continue serving alcohol past ten PM. No, can can we go in there? Could is this is this is this the ultimate members only club, or could you just rock up? No trainers and eight big man's uh, you know smart dress. Can you just rock up to one of the pubs in the Palace of Westminster? You want to go to the Palace of Westminster? It does sound like a Wetherspoons. Let's not kid ourselves on here. 
the Palace of Westminster does sound like a Wotherspoons, you know? Maybe it used to be an old church, or it was a bank in 1910. And then because we value a pint at £2.10 more than fucking national institutions like churches or finance, we allow it to go in the shiter and we turn it into a fucking pub. So can we just walk into the Palace of Westminster? You get a cider on tap, hen? Summerbees. I'll have a pint of Summerbees, please. The loophole apparently is due to the fact that the bars are classified as workplace canteens. What? Workplace... You, you try that. You try that. Right? What does it say? If it's, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. You try that. If this COVID ever ends, right, maybe in three or four years' time, when we get back to, you know, people just moving about, mixing crowds, everything, right? Say, what, four years, five years? Once that's over and you're back to work, go to the pub on your lunch. Go to the pub on your lunch break. And if your gaffer says a fucking word to you, were you in the pub? I was in the workplace canteen, boss. Classified in this loophole from uh, the Palace of Westminster circa 1845. How the... <laughs> how is a fucking pub classed as a workplace canteen? The new legislation allows them to remain open where there is no practical alternative for staff at the workplace to obtain food. A fucking vending machine. A vending machine. So let, let's get this right. The loophole for the fucking human waste in the Palace of Westminster, the loophole that they can get around is that their bars can remain open past 10pm, past the national curfew for coronavirus because there is nowhere else, and I quote, there is nowhere else at the workplace for staff to obtain food. Are these cunts ever heard of Deliveroo? You're telling me they can't get a Deliveroo to the Palace of Westminster? Is that what you're telling me? There's fuckers in the Isle of Skye can get delivery. Folk up in Inverschnecke. I mean, these fuckers can't even read or write, but they can go on a phone and they can order Thai food. And you're telling me the palace of, the palace of Westminster can't get fucking delivery. Uh, I think you'll find there's actually a loophole so we can obtain food. So you're telling me that all these fuckers that are sitting in one of the pubs and uh, in Parliament getting steaming at quarter to eleven at night. They're all sitting with a banquet are they? eating. Fucking make me sick. On it on honest to God, man, I swear to God, and I know that sometimes my views can be extreme, but please remember this is a comedy podcast and I say things without meaning it and no scientific knowledge, factual base to back up any of these arguments. I'm just a fat man having a rant. But believe me, politicians should get fuck all. Fuck all. Give them a wage, you've got to pay them a wage. Forget your expenses, forget your second house, forget a pub, forget discounted meals, they get fuck all the cunts. Give them nothing. Get to your work 
and then get to a fucking normal public resties. And see if you can get there because you're working late. Good. Good. See when you see pictures of like politicians in restaurants or politicians in bars or attending functions or like galas or some kind of art thing. I always think to myself, what the fuck are you doing there? Get to your fucking work, cunt. Get to your fucking work. Oh, but it's eight o'clock and I don't give a fuck. You're telling me there isn't somebody in your constituency that's having a hell of a time right now. Get to fucking work. Parliament should be like the old uh, Atlantic 252. Parliament should be a pirate ship. Fort Boyard. That should be the House of Parliament. Where the fuck... What happened to Fort Boyard? Is it even a real fort? I don't know. Somebody get Melinda Messenger on the phone. We'll ask her. That should be Parliament. Palace of Westminster. Houses of Parliament. Scrap it. Scrap the fucking thing. Right? Bulldozer it. Sell the land off for flats. Make fucking trillions. Trillions of pounds selling that. Send it to a fucking oligarch. Sell it to somebody in Dubai. I don't care. Sell it. For a hundred billion gazillion quid. Stick that in the national pocket. Right? Use that money. Sell everything. Sell fucking Buckingham Palace. Sell the lot of it. Sell fucking everything. Get that money. Go over to Moscow. Putin. Big man. A word. Fancy buying Buckingham Palace? Shut up. I'm serious. Do you want it? Hundred million bazillion gillion. It's yours. Sell it to the Saudis. Sell it to the Chinese. I don't care. Sell everything for under their fucking feet. Put that money into the plus. Use it for health, education, housing, uh, mental health. You know, have it, have that separate for fuck's sake rather than just dumping it all in there. Use all that money. Current MPs, your second house, your third house, your fourth house, guess what? I'm taking it back. Oh, but you can't do that back. Oh, guess what, ball bag? There's a loophole. Look at this loophole that I found here. It's called the cunt and ball baggery loophole of 2020. We're taking it back and we're selling it. This is the new face of politics. This is the new structure, right? You want to be a politician in this new world, this modern world. You can be elected. Fine. You can stand for something. You can run for something. I want to make Castle Milk better for the people of Castle Milk. Good for you, mate. Good for you. Elected, right? You go down to London. You go to the House of Parliament. You're all excited. You know, you're going, I can't believe I'm getting paid this much. I'm getting paid 150 grand a year, I think. Plus expenses. I don't have to fucking buy a thing. Pens, expenses. Dinners, expenses. Ubers, expenses. I get all that money. I don't buy a fucking thing. And then they gave me a house. Unbelievable. You get your credentials. You get your wee lanyard. You know, you get a wee tote bag with a house apartment on it. It's got a pencil, a fucking, a giant rubber. You know, something like that. And then we bush you. We bus you to Torquay, right? Or somewhere in Wales, on the coast, right? Or in fact, Greenock. <laughs> we bus you to Greenock. Yes, right? We bus you to Greenock from London. No breaks, no stops. So you're really pissed by the time you get there. 
and then we put you in dinghies, blindfolded, obviously for national security reasons, and we sell you to a purpose-built fort on the fucking sea. And that is where you will conduct the business of the nation for four years. You don't leave the fucking fort, nobody comes on the fucking fort, you don't go off the fort, nothing. You stay in the fucking fort for four years. You serve your time as an MP, and then you fuck off. You don't get a severance package, you don't get a golden handshake, you can't go into some private sector, nothing. You've got to sit in the house for a year and learn to become a civilian again. That's what should happen with MPs. They fucking make me sick. I, I still can't believe that they've got bars in, in this apartment. Um, let's go back to the article, shall we? That, that got a bit ranty there. Um, rules including uh, the need to take... Right, sorry. So the last bit was that the, the reason they got the loophole is because the there is no practical alternative for staff at the workplace to obtain food according to the Times rules, including the need to take customer details and wear face masks um, were not when not sat at a table, also reportedly don't apply. Brilliant. Why not, man? Why not? You know? They can't have been a pub past ten. If you're not sitting down eating, you must wear a face mask at all times, and when you're in a venue or a restaurant or a cafe, we have to take customers' details. But surely we don't have to do that in the Palace of Westminster. Oh, bloody no. We do what the fuck we want. Stick them in a fort. A source told the Times the, ex- the, exemption, the exemption was a massive own goal, do you think so, for Parliament, given the vast majority of pubs and restaurants across the UK are now required to shut early. Uh, Sash- Sasha Lord, the nighttime economy advisor for Greater Manchester, tweeted Parliament's own bars have been made exempt from the 10pm curfew and doesn't have to take down anyone's details. I'd like to say I'm surprised, but I'm not really. Oh, fucking good for you, Sasha Lord. The curfew policy has been questioned over the weekend after some said it was making things worse, not better, because it led to drinkers spilling out onto the streets at the same time. Ministers say, say the nighttime shutdown is necessary because the longer people drink, the less likely they are to follow social distancing rules. Parliament's bars, including the strangers' dining room, the adjournment and the members' smoking room and pungan room, were open to MPs before the summer recess after being closed due to the pandemic. Piers Morgan is among those to have criticised the move on social media. He tweeted the exemption was absolutely outrageous. Speaking on the show earlier, he said it's kicking out, it's kicking out time for the entire country apart from MPs. Is that a joke? It's one rule for us and one rule for them. I mean, let's not forget that Piers Morgan's also a cunt. Parliament itself shut down the... Parliament itself shut down for the worst month of the crisis with MPs voting remotely for the first time in history. I mean, it's already shown that they can vote remotely. It's already been shown that they can continue to run the country remotely. So stick the fuckers on a fort in the middle of the sea. Strangers Bar in the Palace of Westminster, also House of Parliament, open to members and officers with up to three guests. Guests must be accompanied 
and may not buy drinks. Again, more loopholes. That's, that's so that, they, that that would have been bought in place so that they can bring guests in because there would have been a time, probably now and in the past and in the future, when certain members of Parliament will be sitting on you know a Wednesday night, Friday night in Strangers Bar in the Palace of Westminster and think, wouldn't it be nice if I could bring some rent boys in here? And that's why they're allowed to sign guests in. But the rent boys can't buy drinks. The member of Parliament has to buy the drinks for them. Jacob Rees-Mogg, professional cunster, led plans to bring all MPs back to London at the beginning of June and there were long queues snaking around the building as politicians tried to vote. The regulations that allow bars to stay open are reportedly being kept under review by the House of Commons. Tory MPs have been critical of the curfew plans, describing them as a terrible blow for the hospitality industry and warning there must be no, must not be another major lockdown. I mean, the thing about this 10 o'clock stuff is, during the week, I don't think it's going to make much of a difference. I really don't, right? I don't think there are a lot of people anymore going out getting steaming during the week, but Friday, Saturday night, it's going to be an issue because there are bars that a lot of people are out in, you know, and they're having old-fashioned nights on the tiles the way they used to. And I think that it is going to spark people to drink more. I think it is going to force people to, you know, order more alcohol than they should, consume more alcohol than they should, fling a couple of pints down their neck come 10 o'clock. But then, I mean, has that is that any different to, to a normal weekend when it's closing time, you know? I, I think this issue is two things. I think that the discussion around the fact that, again, politicians in this country have shown that it is one rule for them and one rule for us. And a broader a, a broader line on that is that it's one rule for the elite, the rich, the top end, and the rest of us fucking scrape by. That is a different talking point, a different subject, rather than our abuse of alcohol. And how we consume alcohol. Because that, that's not been affected by COVID. People have been knocking back booze for you. We've all done it. We've all been in a puff. A pub. A puff? We've all been in a puff as well. We've been in a bar. And you've heard the bell ring for last orders. And even if the fucking panicking people. You know, the pan I have seen friends. Sensible people, you know. Grown adults. Good jobs. Careers. Panic in their fucking face. Oh my god, it's lost orders! We've all done it. We've all been sitting in a pub, the bell rings, your mate stands up and goes, fuck last orders, runs to the bar and then comes back with a tray that defies physics. You're looking at the tray going, how much fucking bevy have you got on this tray? I didn't know what to do, so everybody's got a Jack and Coke and two pints each. Why? What? What is? What is? Uh, where has that come from? That that need to consume alcohol, man. You know, instead of, I don't want to say a European approach as if they're all fucking, you know, avant-garde and, and advanced in this shit. But what? Why can the approach not be to enjoy your evening? rather than the amount that you drink why is that the focus you know 
fuck, here's last orders. So, do you want another pint? No, really. I'm fine with this. That that's a completely different discussion for another day. So I don't think that the I don't think that the ten o'clock closure is going to have that much of an impact on that kind of you know binge drinking that kind of you know big consumption because that's always existed. I do think the issue is going to be if a lot of pubs are busy. They all chuck out at ten o'clock, and then there's a mass gathering of people. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens, man. I mean, how many times have we said that? And I I, I do I feel as if you may have noticed it more when it's been spoken about the fines. And there was an article that came out today that I saw on BBC News where there's been three, I believe, maybe even four new um, COVID nineteen laws being passed by Parliament as well which can uh, enforce fines and imprisonment on repeat offenders. So it's very interesting that these have now been brought in and they're being discussed, but they're not being discussed openly. It's not, It's not. you know, it's not in the first three news stories, for example. So the majority of people won't really know about it. Is this another move by the, the Tories to, you know, to, in a way to, to tax the poor? Because those are the ones who are going to be hit with these fines. It's going to be people who are normal people out working, grafting, trying to fucking survive, trying to exist in this shitstorm that we find ourselves in. They go to the pub, they're in the pub at five past ten. One of these fucking, you know, community liaison officers comes in, checks in, sees you're still in the pub, bang, there's a thousand pound. You know, fast forward two weeks and you're standing outside a chippy because you, you've been chucked to the pub at 10 and you think you can still get something to eat and then you're standing there and, and they're saying you're not dispersing and you know they've got your details before and then bang there's £5,000 and before you know it you're doing a weekend or you get a 10 grand fine who knows what's going to happen man you know it, it's all I think now it's all about education and, and a lot of us still don't really understand how the virus is transmitted this is the the article that I, that I was reading right, and it's saying like the it's, it's talking about the science behind this ten pm curfew, right? And what I can gather from reading this is that there's no science behind it. There's there's no there's no logical reason why you shouldn't be in a pub or you shouldn't be out at ten o'clock at night. There's no logical reason other than this is the decision they've made. But somehow they try and kind of manipulate this bullshit behind it. In the article, which is on BBC's news website, it's trying to talk about the difference between droplets and airborne transmission. And they're saying that droplet transmission through coughs and sneezes can spread droplets of saliva and mucus. Airborne transmission, tiny, tiny particles possibly produced by talking, are suspended in the air longer and travel further. Again, that's a statement. There's no scientific finding behind that. It doesn't tell you the process of it. It just gives you as attached with a picture of somebody coughing. What does that mean to anybody? Nothing. The World Health Organization has acknowledged that there is emerging evidence. Where is it? That coronavirus can be spread by tiny particles staying in the air and more studies are urgently needed. So, 
the World Health Organization is saying that there is evidence apparently emerging that the virus itself can be transmitted through tiny airborne particles which are suspended in the air for longer than travel a further distance and they say that these particles can be transmitted simply by talking. This is what the article says. What's that what's that film? What's that film with a woman and she, you can't make a sound and if you fucking make any noise you're dead? Is that is that is is the world just is this being run by like a horror fan? Are, are the are the global powers that run the world all got together and went Let's just fucking see what happens if all our favourite horror films came to life. Tiny airborne particles can be transmitted through talking and they suspend in the air for longer and they travel further. Don't make a fucking sound! Evidence from the Scientific Advisory Group, um, which reports to the government, has highlighted that venues serving alcohol pose a significant risk. Why? Explain that to me. Again, doesn't get into any detail. Smaller gatherings such as bars and nightclubs are higher risk as you can be in close contact with others. A report from the 11th of February warned. We're now at the end of September. Therefore, the new measures are aimed at further reducing the overall period of time that people spend in close contact with each other in pubs and restaurants. Speaking on the Andrew Marshall this weekend, University of Edinburgh's Professor Mark Woolhouse, a member of the government's infection modelling team, says there isn't a proven scientific basis for any of this. However, he said this also applied to the nationwide lockdown which occurred from the 23rd of March onwards. What we've seen from the evidence is that the spread of the disease t does tend to happen later at night after more alcohol has been consumed. This is one way we see of driving down the R reproductive rate without doing excessive economic damage. I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it! But hey, what are you going to do, man? What are we going to do? Nothing we can do. So, go to the pub, have a drink, right? 10 o'clock chucking out time, Get yourself a friend who's rich, right? That that would be my advice to everybody right now. Find a rich person and become their pal, all right? Rich people want stuff to spend their money. No, I don't mean somebody who, like, you know, he's a spark and he's got three vans, right, and he's always got £500 cash in his pocket. I mean somebody who's, like, in hedge funds, somebody who sells arms, somebody who sells guns to rebels, serious serious money find these people become their friend all right take them out of tune get steaming and then at 10 o'clock get in his helicopter fly to belfast and you've probably got another 40 minutes of boozing until they get shut down and then it's back in the chopper and just bounce about the world on a 24-hour bender that's what i would do I watched quite a good uh, documentary the other day. Now, it's short. I think it's about half an hour, if that. Uh, it's, it's, it's in parts. I think there's five or six of them. Um, I've not watched any more, and I don't know if I'm going to watch any more. And I'll tell you for why. It's, uh, it's a documentary. Um, 
And I want to say it's called Playbook. I want to say that's what it's called. In fact, I'm just going to double check right now so that I can tell you exactly what it is called. Um, the one I watched is Jose Mourinho. Now, he is on um, the Amazon Prime uh, documentary just now, which is looking at the uh, Spurs Tottenham. That's a fucking brilliant show, man. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, Jose Mourinho, Netflix doc. Uh, it is called The Playbook. It's called The Playbook. Um, if, you don't, if you've got Netflix, get it watched. If you've not got Netflix, what? Steal it for somebody, right? Go out with someone who's got Netflix, chuck them and steal their Netflix. It's great. It, it's looking at... Uh, I think there's six episodes, six coaches from different sports across across the world. Um, a lot of it is American because it's an American company that's produced it. Um, so the ones that are like basketball, because I don't really have any interest in the sport, I don't think I'm going to watch them. Um, but the one with Jose Mourinho is brilliant, man. Brilliant. Now, cards on the table, full disclosure... I love Jose Mourinho. I think he's brilliant. I'm one of the only few, I think, Man United fans that actually like Mourinho. I think at the time, a lot of fans, when he was at Manchester United, are kind of that old school Ferguson. And uh, obviously, Alex Ferguson's the greatest of all time, but, you know, never sent against the club, blah, 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 blah. The fact that Mourinho got United to second in that season... And then even himself said that's the greatest achievement he's ever had in his career. And people laughed at him. Look at the fucking state of Manchester United now. I think Mourinho is a great coach. I think he's a great manager. I think his problem now is that what made him the greatest at the time has slipped and that the game has changed. So in the past, uh, it it takes you through from when he was a young boy right through to where he is now and, and where he was at United. And the interesting one is when he's talking about his situation at Porto and uh, how they restructured the team and how Porto was in a position where they they had been losing, they didn't want anything and the fans just weren't accepting it anymore. So a manager was sacked, Jose Mourinho was brought in and he went through this restructuring process and the restructuring was bringing in players who understood the history of the club, understood what it meant to play for the club, understood what the fans wanted, blah, 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 and built this team of fucking warriors. But amazing players, talented players, they go on and win the Champions League, unheard of, right? you probably say at that point, Porto winning that Champions League was probably like when Leicester won the Premiership in England. It's probably on par with that. It is a team from a country which should not win the Champions League. The Champions League, the structure of UEFA, is done so in a way that one of the clubs from the big three will win it. An English club, an Italian club, or a Spanish club. Those are the clubs they push for. Now, obviously, you have uh, Bayern in Germany, right, who have won it this season as well. But Bayern themselves are a bit of an anomaly in, in Germany, almost to the extent where it's like PSG in France. It is, I mean, it's not a one-team league, but it's as good as a one-team league. Never used to be that in Germany, but that's the position it's in the now. So the way that everything's structured for qualifications, um, 
when they start to play qualification matches, when they start to play league matches, everything really is geared towards an English team, a Spanish team, an Italian team winning the Champions League. That's what I think anyway. If I get any basis on that, a fact, fuck all. But at that point, a team from Portugal winning it, unheard of. With a new manager who no one knew of. It's a stuff of fairy tales. The documentary is great. Talks about his father as well. His father was a football coach. Uh, and it, something that's quite interesting towards the end when it, it talks about his father, how he had been offered the chance to go to a bigger club, which would have... And all all he all Jose Mourinho indicates is that it would have changed his family's life. So it must have been a higher status club, probably in another league. Uh, it would have been far more money. And he says in it that his father was loyal to the club that he had success with and he built over those X number of years. And then Jose Mourinho says and he, he was fired three months later. And, I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but you can see that that has obviously... That is something that has remained from his childhood deep within that has shaped him as a person whether he knows that or, 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 you know, whether he's conscious or unconscious of that, that shaped him as a person. And you can maybe see how that has made him be almost ruthless in his decisions to move clubs and to move on players. And I suppose to be successful and to have that level of success that, you've had to, that he's had, maybe you need that ruthless streak in you. I do think that when he's talking about certain things, uh, and you base it on some of the situations that he's been in recently, you can tell that the game itself has moved past a point where it's harder to influence. By that, I mean there was a time, I think, when you could probably get a group of players together and you could say to them, you know, I want you to fucking live and die for me, I'm going to take you to the promised land and we're going to win the Champions League and we're all going to fight together. And you could motivate that and you could structure that and you can push that on. Now, at that level, at the elite level... It must be hard when you've got some guys picking up half a million pound a week. And I don't know if it is an old-fashioned idea, but there are probably a lot of elite footballers who would happily go a career never winning anything. But they're picking up 250 grand a week. Now, who could argue? Me... You, civilians, in that situation, would you go and be a footballer for 250 grand a week and never win a trophy? Of course you would. But if that has been your life since a young boy and you've been brought up through football, you've never known another career, you've only been a footballer, isn't there an element of you that would want to strive for that and strive for success and to win something? And maybe that type of player, not doesn't exist anymore, but there are fewer of them, and to build a team with that type of mentality is getting more difficult. Interesting as well, and he says that he doesn't coach players, he coaches the team, and that probably lends itself to the argument of he's trying to build something to, to move towards a goal. So, I said, I loved it. Great with documents, half an hour. Talks about his time at Milan as well, which was interesting. I did not know that when he went to Inter Milan, um, there'd been a time when they hadn't didn't won anything, won the league for a couple of years, and they hadn't won the Champions League. And Mourinho comes in, wins the league, wins the Champions League. And Madrid, Real Madrid had came in for him before the end of the season. 
and uh, he talks about it in the in the documentary, saying it was one of the most difficult decisions he's ever made, and how you know you you dream of getting the chance to manage Real Madrid. And at that time, when he first went to Madrid, that he was on, you know, he was still on his ascendancy. I think he was still at the peak. And I, I never knew it at the time. Inter Milan won the Champions League, and he he never went back with the players. He never he never got on the team bus. He never he never went back to Milan. I don't even know if he went into the dressing room. He got in a car and he. He went to Madrid, and there's a scene in it where he's walking out of the 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 ground, and I don't know if it's his agent or his manager or someone. And they've also got a minder, so the the bodyguard's going inside and gets in the front, and Mourinho gets in the back of the car. And I I assume it's Mourinho's wife who's in the front, and you can see that he's distraught because she she turns and she tries to console him, and the car goes to drive off, and then the car stops. And Mourinho says, he's narrating this point, he notices that one of the Inter Milan players is standing at the side of the bus in tears because the, the Milan team have obviously just been told that Mourinho's leaving, he's not coming back. And uh, you see him get out of the car and he goes over and he consults the, the player and the two of them are you know, crying together. Then he gets back in the car and fucks off. And again, it's something that you never... I never even knew that happened. I never even knew that was the circumstances. And he does say in it, if he hadn't have done that, if he'd went back to Milan, he he, he thinks he'd never have left because he'd, he felt as though he had such a connection with those, those group of players. It's a fascinating documentary. I, I enjoy things like that where it's people who are operating at a level that none of us will not only really understand, ever get a chance to experience. And it's interesting. There is a few uh, really stupid questions in it, only because it's it's an American company that's making it, and it's an American company who American guy, sorry, who's doing the interview. So the, Americans, as much as they pretend, they don't understand football, and they never will. Um, and he, and he says to him at one point, "Would would you enjoy football as much if you weren't a winner?" And you're like, "What a fucking stupid question to ask somebody who has won." Not only trophies, but won leagues, won European Cups, the highest competition you can get with a club team. And he's won that across multiple leagues, multiple countries. What a stupid question to ask somebody. And again, it's that... I think it comes down to that thing about with Americans. Their sport seems to be a lot about money. You know, they will almost celebrate the fact that a basketball player or a football, an American football player gets like a contract for like a hundred million dollars. They, they seem to celebrate that more than a team winning, you know, and success. It's a, it's a very odd, I think that's why they'll never understand football. I also think, conspiracy earlier, I also think that's the reason, fuck me, it was a double burp at the same time. I also think that's the reason for some of these changes with like VAR and the handball rule because you're seeing the amount of goals being scored in a game in the last two seasons has fucking dramatically gone through the roof. And I wonder how much of that is because America's still such a massive untapped market for football that they're desperately trying to push us because that's probably the only way you can get these fuck nugget Americans to watch it is if a game ends, every match ends 7-6 and 13-5. You know, that's the only way they can get on board with it. I don't know, but 
aside from some of the stupid questions it's asked, it's a brilliant documentary. If you don't watch any of the other ones, I've not watched them yet. I might, maybe, watch the Jose Mourinho one. It's fucking brilliant. Netflix, it's called The Playbook. Check out the Mourinho one. It's fucking great. Here is a, an article which I saw, which um, now I, I've not read it yet, so as always we will experience this together. Um, but when I saw the headline, I, I was intrigued um, because apparently there are there are reasons behind this, and uh, I wanted to I wanted to find out the reasons, um, and then I'll, I'll I'll give my own views on uh, this uh, quite um, ex- explosive subject, um, which I imagine has affected. Everybody in the life, you may have been knowingly affected by this. You may be the person infecting that infection on people. Anyway, let's get to the article. And the, the, the headline of this article is simply, uh, Why? Why men pee in the sink? Now, peeing in the shower goes without being said. Okay, goes without being said. We all do it. Man, woman and child, we all pee in the shower. We pee in a pool, right? We've peed in hot tubs, jacuzzis, whatever there is water that you can submerge your body or have cascade down upon you. We have pissed in it. Pissing in the sink, however, I imagine would be a, a, a hot potato for many of us. Now, let me just clear this up once and for all before we go any further. Have I peed in the sink? Yes, I have. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to stand here and pretend I haven't. I have. Why? I don't know why. Maybe the, the reason will come up in one of the, the five reasons that this article gives. Uh, I can tell you right now, at times, it's more convenient and comfortable. The The sink is the perfect height for my testicles, and I just uh, allow my, you know, the old meat and veg to uh, hang over into the sink, and I can dispense um, my offering and then wash up and continue with my day. So, hey, if you've, ever, if you've ever wondered, you know, why men do that, we're going to find out. Now, this article is by a gentleman called John McDermott. Uh, and John opens with, believe it or not, there are five good reasons. Uh, John goes on to say, a couple of years back, women on the internet were astounded and repulsed to learn that a significant number of men regularly pee in the sink. If you know a substantial number of men, there's a decent chance there's a sink peer in your life. Are you gentlemen listening to this podcast? Rascals, the male rascal community of the podcast. Do you pee in the sink? Have you peed in the sink? Is this something that is a regular thing in your your toilet visits? If not, maybe you'll be persuaded to become a a, a sink peer. I'm not a full-time sink peer. I have peed in the sink in the past, sometimes I've been caught short, sometimes I've been, you know, a little tipsy and can't make it to the bathroom and I am in the kitchen. You know, sometimes your partner is in there if you only have one toilet and you have to pee in the sink. Now, is there a difference between peeing in the bathroom sink and the kitchen sink? I would say yes, there is. I would say bathroom sink is okay. Kitchen sink, I'd say maybe maybe avoid that if you can. The conversation uh, which happened online started out innocently enough. Um, 
uh, a lady called Sam Escobar, no relation, uh, ask guys if they have to hold onto their uh, parts while evacuating their bladders, only to have said guys open up about peeing in the sink. Um, Sam Escobar, uh, deputy editor of Allure magazine, uh, tweeted, question for people with penises. How many of you don't use your hands when you pee? Now, completely separate subject. Um, if you're a hands-free pisser, you're after your nut. Right? You need to be in full control uh, during and after urination. Full control. Um, abhorrent uh, as the behaviour may seem to the opposite sex, I know I'm not alone in the sink peeing habit. Official statistics on sink peeing were unavailable, obviously. There's not enough anecdotal evidence to suggest it's more common than suspected. The world's foremost sink peeing advocate is probably comedian and digital media impresario Adam Carolla. Never heard of him. Who's championed the practice for years on his signature podcast, The Adam Carolla Show. Go and check it out after you've listened to mine. There are numerous sink peeing apologists uh, on Reddit. Uh, I studied these accounts hoping to arrive at a grand undefined theory for men to pee in the sink, um, but blah, 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 there's no table. Right, here are the five reasons given um, by John McDermott um, that, that give some kind of, you know, gravitas to the gentlemen who pee in the sink. Uh, now, if any of these, uh, you know, are reasons that you feel as if you could become a sink peer. Now, listen, also, it's 2020. Right, so we can't just hold this back to men. Yes, it's easier for a man to pee in a sink because most sinks are testicle height. Like I said, you just flop it out, hangs over the edge, and you do a pee, right? Maybe you brush your teeth at the same time, clean the wax out your ears, brush your beard. I don't know. I'm not saying I've done that. I'm just saying it's a possibility. But maybe if you're sitting going, hey, I might fancy pissing in the sink, here are five reasons why you should. And if any of these reasons, you know, go, hey, there it is. That's the reason for you. And again, you know, ladies, if you want to, if you want to pee in the sink as well, and any of these reasons, you know, hit home with you, then hey, get on board. Reason number one, it's quieter. According to John, uh, last year Reddit user. Uh, it's extraordinary, sparked controversy when he admitted he pees in the sink because he has a pathological fear of people hearing him pee. Now, I have known people in the past who have ran a tap when they've gone to the toilet. I don't know if they're a heavy shitter. Uh, I don't know if they, you know, some people uh, conduct a large uh, fartsicle when they do a, a, a poo. Um, it can be loud. Uh, I don't know if people are trying to distract others. Um, I don't know. You know, some some people don't like to don't like to hear the sound of their shit hit the water. <laughs> some people have got a, a bad a poor dismount. You know, uh, when when I do a shit, uh, you know, and, and it's uh, it evacuates, it kind of it kind of falls into the water like a like an alligator returning from land into the pool. You know, just kind of move very gently into the water. I've known some people who, you know, when when they do a shit, it sounds like someone's gone off the fourth road bridge, you know? Fucking <whistles> spadoosh. So some people like to mask the sound of their movement. 
uh, that could be the reason. Uh, the the man may have major hang-ups when it comes to a natural human process, but his tactic does have practical use, such as peeing late at night. Peeing in the sink spares your roommates the sound of you lifting the toilet uh, toilet seat, clanking it against the porcelain uh, to take a loud pee in the darkness, uh, and then having to flush again. So, reason one, quieter. Okay? Uh, if your partner has ever said to you, in the name of God, the noise you make when you go for a piss... Maybe it's time to pee in the sink. Uh, second one, it uses less water. Now, if you have ever had a go at your other half or your friends or family about recycling or saving the fucking planet, right? You should be pissing in the sink. If there is a if there is a single vegan amongst you listening to this podcast, I'd be surprised. But if there is a single one. If you're listening to this as as a vegan, and you do not, I repeat, do not piss in the sink. Can you even say you're a vegan? Really? Peeing in the sink is actually the green way to go. Instead of wasting 1.6 gallons of water on a flush, you pee in the sink, then you wash your hands in the very same sink, simultaneously washing down the urine and preserving nature's most precious resource. Efficiency. A yellow-green solution, if you will. Not my words, John's words, the author of this article. But it does, uses less washer, water. You're not flushing the toilet and then washing your hands. You're peeing in the sink, you're washing your hands and you're washing the, the piss away. You know? And if you are in full control... Of the uh, the of the of the hose during the urination, you could fucking aim for the plug. Make a game out of it. Aim for the plug, right? Why not? Everybody, everybody. I mean, we're only two reasons in: cleaner and quieter. We're saving the planet and we're making less noise. I mean, we're fucking sa- We're saving the world here. Everybody's going curfews at 10 o'clock. We should all be pissing in sinks. Third reason. We're at a party. I don't know what this means. It could get a wee bit weird. Ever been at a party and one dude's using the toilet so you decide to just use the sink while he goes because you've been waiting forever and no one will ever know? No. This has went weird. What's happened here is I think that he's maybe got four reasons and his, his editor's asked him for five so he's flung in this weird one you're at a party and somebody's using the toilet so you piss in a sink that's how you get flung out a party or get a broken jaw alright again it's an American article written by Americans they're a bit odd I think if, if I was ever at a house party or I was having a house party and, and I walked in to find somebody pissing in my sink because someone else was in the toilet I'd, I'd think I'd probably kick him down a flight of stairs so maybe don't, listen, this is all in your own home, right? Peeing in a sink, it needs to be your sink. Let's just clarify that now, John. If you're going to piss in a sink, it needs to be your, you need to be responsible for that sink. If that's going to be your thing. Uh, reason four, uh, you have an erection. Again, he's gone off on a weird tangent here. The most common defence for peeing in the sink is that it's the best way to urinate while harbouring an early morning or post-coitus erection. What the fuck is this guy talking about? Now listen, if you don't own a wally, 
if you've never had to experience uh, urination through a full erection, you won't understand the difficulty um, in mastering that. Um, people think that yoga is an ancient tradition from parts of Asia. Yoga was invented by uh, a man who had to pee with a hard-on. You will bend your body into weird shapes in order to urinate with an erection. It's a difficult thing. It's about 60 PSI. You could take chewing gum off a wall with it. Uh, some people, if they are a larger gentleman, you're unable to bend in certain ways or you don't have enough grip in order to manoeuvre said erection. You may, for example, piss off the top of the toilet seat and deflect it in. All right? Um... Urinating with an erection is a completely different thing. In my opinion, not a valid reason for peeing in the sink. Um, I think if you were going to piss in the sink with an erection, you'd have to come from above, like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, lower yourself down with a pulley system and then fire the erection piss uh, straight into the sink. Now, with that much pressure, force and distance from the plug, you probably could rupture the porcelain. Um, if you are in desperate need of a post-sex uh, urination uh, whilst erect, I would suggest standing in the garden and erupting into the field uh, whilst singing something from The Lion King or simply standing in the shower and allowing yourself to go crazy. The only time when a hands-free pee is acceptable, in my opinion. So, John, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not accepting that as a valid reason. Uh, and finally, John's just put, hey, it's fun. As his final reason. I used the following excuses when trying to defend sink peeing to my colleagues. It's transgressive. I don't know what that means. Uh, it felt like you're getting away with a victimless crime. This guy needs help. Uh, sometimes it just feels good to pee differently. Ah, okay. Uh, and maybe I have some primal urge to mark my territory. But those are just different ways of me saying the same thing. Peeing in the sink is kind of fun. I would definitely go with John's first two. Um, saves water and it's quiet definitely and I think if we are in a world now where we're trying to preserve life we're trying to make the world a better place sometimes we, we want to go with the grand gestures the big things in life maybe we should start small maybe we should all start pissing in the sink right I'm just I'm very conscious of the time here and um, I, I've i got a whole load of questions, right? I've got a whole load of questions. Uh, Jacqueline Thompson on Facebook. Jacqueline, great question. I'm going to answer that. I'm going to save... I think I'm going to save these for the Patreon episode on Friday because we've got a load. Lee Ormiston, uh, thanks for your question, Lee. Andrew, Stephen Wilson uh, and Barry, all good questions. Uh, Fraser Torrance as well. Uh, bit of an odd one, but also good questions. Um, we're just not going to get time, we're over the hour already, so we'll save these for the Patreon episode, uh, which is out this Friday, and we'll go into those in a bit more detail. If you'd like to get access to the Patreon episodes, they come out every single Friday, as well as all extra content, comedy albums, comedy special, all that kind of thing, you can do so by joining the Patreon. It's very easy, it's $5 a month. Um, go to patreon.com forward slash Gibson or go to the website, Scott Gibson Comedy. .co.uk, all the links are on there. It's a great way to support the show, support me, uh, keep these coming out regular during this bloody difficult time. And uh, yeah, so please do that. If you enjoy the show, please share it, spread the numbers, and consider 
joining the Patreon. I cannot thank everybody enough who has signed up to the Patreon. You are legends, every single one of you. Um, so consider doing that. Patreon.com forward slash Big Scott Gibson. It's worth it, man. Five, which five dollars? Three quid, two eighty, fucking pennies. And you get you get eight episodes a month, two a week. Oh, what more do you want from me? So those of you who ask questions, thank you very much indeed, guys, and we'll pick that up uh, on this Friday's episode. Right, one more thing. Let's finish off. We're going to go back to the Metro. And we're going to finish off with one of the most amazing stories, as they always do. Again, we say it, you know. There's a reason why the Metro is free. Because shite is not worth paying for. Now, at a time when we are living in huge uncertainty, it's one rule for them, it's one rule for us. The good people at the Metro bring us the news items that are not only important, but need covered. And like no other, this is one of those articles. Uh, from a new name, Tom Williams, at the Metro. And Tom has covered this beautiful little news piece. Driver takes to the streets with entire greenhouse strapped to the roof. Why? I hear you cry. I have no idea. Let's discover together. Bizarre footage, of course has emerged of a car being driven down a busy road with an entire greenhouse strapped to its roof. Passing drivers were stunned as the Citroen C4 drove at speeds of up to 40 miles per hour. If he'd hit a kid at 40, he'd have fucking leveled the bastard. Uh, with the 8-foot by 6-foot metal frame balancing precariously on top of it. Citroen C4 as well. Not no an easy car to strap something to the roof of. You know, fair play to the driver. I mean, you can see in those pictures there that one does not look safe. Does not look safe. I mean, his roof is going to be in a hell of a fucking state by the time he's finished there. Um, a, a backseat passenger was even sorry. A backseat passenger was seen with their arm out the window, holding on to the structure, in the name. Oh, fucking God. <laughs> That's obviously been, I'm going to say, a Facebook purchase or a gum tree, right? Where they've turned up thinking that they're buying a greenhouse because it's locked in, right? People are getting their gardens, they're doing stuff up, but a DIY. She's always wanted a greenhouse, mate. So when I saw this for 15 quid, I thought this is absolutely perfect, you know? Thinking the greenhouse is going to be dismantled in some way, but no, to their horror! Franco discovers it's still fucking erect. 8 by 6. And again, because he doesn't want to seem like less of a man in front of the gentleman that he's buying it from, he says to his Sandra, well, just fuck it on the roof. Don't be stupid, Franco. He'll help you. And the other Franco says to your Franco, oh, no, no. You'll get that on the roof, no bother. What is it you've got, mate? A Citroen C4. Oh, it'll fit. He could have said anything. He could have said a fucking armor, a mini metro, a transit van. Whatever he said, the guy was going to say, it'll fucking fit on there, no bother. He strapped it to his roof with a bit of rope and off he shots. First corner he takes, he feels if the car's going to go, he says to Sandra, put the window down and hold on to that hen. Local care manager Teresa Mulberry 
was a passenger in the car behind and filmed the scene in Hordle near Limerington, Hampshire. She said her partner followed the Citroen for around two miles before it turned off the main road. Theresa 50 said as there were no glass panels inside the metal frame, the wind was able to blow right through and described the whole thing as mad. <laughs> a real in-depth look. How would you describe the whole ordeal? Mad. <laughs> that that's that's where we're at now. It's just a guy driving about with fucking a greenhouse strapped to his roof, you know. That was absolutely insane, son. I tell you, he never had glass panels on it, so the wind could travel through the crevice, you know. But oh, it was two two miles we followed him for. Why, Teresa? Why? Manager a care home. You're telling me somebody doesn't need a last wiped or a fucking a new bottle of protein milk. And you're following a car for two miles with a garden shed stuck to the roof. She said, my initial reaction was, oh my God, what's going on? My husband was driving, so I started filming. She's covered her tracks there. She's covered her tracks. She's invented a fictional husband. So she doesn't get to jail for filming when she's driving. I started filming for the passenger seat. It was just madness. Madness, I say. What was mad about it, Teresa? Did he start throwing shite at the windy or screaming and talking in tongues? No, I was just mad. He was driving about a shed. It was fucking mental. We followed for a good two miles before it turned off and you could hear it clunking about. Theresa goes on to say there was even there was even someone in the back seat with her arm out the window holding on for extra support. A good team player, Theresa. A good team player. Thankfully there was no glass in the metal frame, otherwise it could have been everywhere. Could have been. Could have been. But again, there's no point in worrying about things that have not happened or could not have happened. It's a thought, it's the sort of thing you might expect to see in India. Racist, Teresa. Didn't take long. Did not take long. She's conducted what? A quick three-minute interview, four lines of context, and boom, she's gone straight for the racism. It's the kind of thing you expect to see in India. You know what I mean? Are they cunts hanging off the front of a train, sticking a shed on top of a motor? You don't expect this in England. This is a disgrace. It's the type of thing you expect to see in India. I've never seen anything like it. What a sheltered life Teresa has lived. She's never seen anything like it in all her life. You know? Dinner party. Ten years time. Retirement. Sitting there. People of the world. Conversation comes up with crazy things. I've seen that one saw a, 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 a small monkey in, in, in Peru remove the bottom half of a man's face. Shocking scene, shocking scene. What's the most, what's the most uh, crazy thing you've ever seen, Teresa? Well, I'll tell you this for nothing. I once saw a man, and fucking Franco back me up here. I once saw a man drive a car with a full shed, a full greenhouse on Tappy's roof. And it's the maddest thing I've ever seen in my life. It certainly does bring a whole new meaning to the term greenhouse gases, Teresa went on to say. Not not Disney, Teresa. It really does not. Because greenhouse gases is actually nothing to do. Do you know what? Disney matter, you're right. Something you see in India. Bizarrely, uh, it's not the first time this year that a motorist has decided to go out for a spin 
with their greenhouse attached. A driver in Rochdale, Greater Manchester, was caught on camera with one strapped to the roof back in January. Picture showed the car being dwarfed by the size of its unusual load, oh, hello, which very nearly brought down a couple of telegraph poles. There you go. Uh, headline was, driver takes to the streets with an entire greenhouse strapped to roof, and it should have been racist. <laughs> that should have just been, racist woman spots greenhouse. That's the headline. But if you want to look at that and some other wonderful stories from across the world, go to the Metro's website. Right, team, that's us, man. That is us. Um, what have we got to punt? A uh, couple of gigs coming up, uh, unless we go back into lockdown, in which case we'll be going underground and taking over a school at gunpoint. Don't say that, Scott, and uh, having the gigs there. October 24th, The View in Oban. Tickets are on sale. October 25th in Glasgow is sold out. That is the rescheduled date. And then November 6th, uh, The Bungalow in Paisley. Tickets are still left, although it's a tiny wee amount. Go to my website, scottgibsoncommon.co.uk or go to ctickets.com, search Scott Gibson and you can get the tickets on there. October 24th, The View in Oban. 25th, Classic Grand in Glasgow sold out. And November 6th, The Bungalow in Paisley. Please do come along if you can. Right, that's us. Um, those of you who are on the Patreon, yeah, I will speak to you on Friday with another episode. Everyone else, thank you for listening, watching and share the podcast, share the show. And I'll, uh, I'll speak to you all soon. Take care, stay safe, wash your hands and your arsehole. Set an alarm for 9.45 so you don't get caught out in the pub and get yourself a £1,000 fine. And uh, hopefully I will see you in the battlefield very soon. <laughs>